At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited about what God has for us this morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, please look and grab it and open it to 1 Peter chapter 1. We started uh, a new book study last week in 1st and 2nd Peter, and I'm uh, continuing that study. Kirk introduced the books to us last week and gave us a great, uh, some great looks into the life of Peter and uh, who he is, who he, who he was, and um, the influences that helped him write this book. Uh, and if you notice from the very beginning, <clears throat> Peter addresses first himself, he tells the, the people he's writing to who he is, and secondly, he says who they are. And if you look at it very quickly, it looks a little strange. He says, to those who reside as aliens. And I have to admit, I'm a little bit of a sci-fi guy. I like those, those movies, you know, I'm a Star Trek guy, you know, David got us all into that kind of stuff, and uh, Star Wars and all that kind of jazz, and, you know, whether you like Alien or Predator, I don't know, it's your, it's your choice. Uh, but uh, one of them I, I, I've watched a couple times is the movie The Martian. And I don't know if you've ever seen The Martian, but it's a Matt Damon movie. He is uh, a group of explorers who have gone to uh, colonize Mars or to study Mars for a short bit. And so they're there, and suddenly there's a massive storm, and they're going to abort the mission. They're going to leave Mars for the safety of the people that are on the mission. And the storm gets there unpredictably quickly, and he gets the storm hits them, and he gets cast off from the other crowd, and they declare him dead, and they blast off, and they're headed back to Earth, and they leave Mark Watley on Mars, and he is the Martian. He wakes up, you know, an hour or two later, he's been knocked unconscious, and he is left there, and he's got to figure it out from there. He's an alien in an alien world, and he's got to figure out how to make it for the years that it would be, theoretically, for them to get a a mission back to rescue him. So he's trying to figure all that out, and that's kind of how we are, and that's how Peter describes us that we are aliens in a world that is very different from us. He said that we were aliens, we're residents, because we don't belong here anymore. If you're a Christian today, you are an alien in a different world. A world that is not going to give you anything, and really should we expect it to? 
we shouldn't act like we are expecting to get anything from them. In fact, we have to come to the idea that this is not our home. This is not our home. Peter understands that, and he, and he addresses them as aliens. And everything about this book talks of, uh, of us like we're aliens, that this is not our home, and the world's not going to treat us like it treats everybody else. And we shouldn't expect it to. In fact, Jesus told us this when, it said, when he said, if they persecuted me, so will they persecute you. So we should expect it. We should expect not to be treated the same as everybody else. In fact, Peter even goes on, I don't want to give away too much in 1 Peter, but in chapter 4, Peter says, don't be surprised when these trials come upon you. Verse 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing and so on. So we shouldn't be surprised. And in our culture, we've, uh, if you, if you kind of are, are students of the culture, and we should be, you kind of understand that it's cool to be different now. It's cool to have different color hair, have a different lifestyle, uh, be vegan or ostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafostafost
there's hope in this life, regardless of what you're going through. And it may be, well, in, the, in this case, their physical, uh, their physical ordeal, their, their um, persecution, their physical persecutions had not begun yet. That was a couple years down the road from when Peter wrote this. So what they were going to experience were many of the same, same pressures and that subtle pressures that we experience today in our culture. You're different, but I'm not so sure I'll allow you to be that different. But the resurrection gives us hope. It gave Peter hope. He's the same guy that was in that boat. He said, well, I'm going to go back to fishing. This, you know, Jesus is gone. You know, what am I going to do? Okay, I'll go fishing. I'll go back fishing. So just like Kirk told us last week, he went fishing, and suddenly he hears the voice of someone he recognizes, but it's kind of far off. It's kind of misty. He's out on the, you know, he's... Cast the net on the other side. That rings a bell with Peter. Cast the net and say, well, the heck with this. I'm diving in. So he dives in the water, realizing who that is, that it was his Savior, and the resurrection was real. Can you imagine? Could you, can you put yourself in that boat? Can you? Jesus was really alive. Can you imagine the kind of hope that gave that group of believers? He, what he told, what he said he was going to do, he actually did it. He's alive. It's not just blowing smoke, it's real. So all the, if that's right, then all the other things he said are true too. Can you imagine how that would strengthen a believer's heart? And not only that, but look, look at the, the verb. And, and if, if you look carefully in verse 3, let's go back. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us. Your salvation today is according to His mercy, which has caused you to be saved. Your salvation is a work of God. It's not anything of you. You're not good enough. You're not going to be good enough. You're not worthy. You can't shine your shoes to be good enough. You can't shine up your character to be good enough. In fact, he took you just as you were. Your beat up dings in the fender self. All of your brokenness by his great mercy has caused us to be born again. It's all a work of God and none of yours. You used to think, I'm a pretty good guy, you know. I smoke or drink or go and chew or go with girls that do. You know, I didn't go with those kind of things. And yet, I wasn't good enough. And nor are you. We're all stained. We're all broken. We're all sinful before God. But yet in His great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have a living and an incredible hope. When things are difficult, we have a hope. When things are 
tough at work, you have hope. When you're struggling in that marriage, you've got hope. You have an anchor. When things are not going your way, financially, emotionally, you're, something's wrong with the kids, one's running this way and you're going this way, you have a hope. As long as you stay with that hope, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. Uh, I'll, I'll use an illustration from, from my coaching days, right? Uh, he's coached a little football and watching the football to, to know that when the quarterback is back there, he's, he's, he's run the play, he's back there, he's trying to pass, and he's trying to look downfield. One of the objectives of the defensive coordinator and of the defenders here in front is to distract him and to collapse the pocket around him so that he takes his eyes off of the receivers that he's trying to throw the ball to, and instead he looks at those guys coming at him, those 315-pound, six-six guys that are trying to crush him. And if he takes his eyes off of what's going on downfield and puts his eyes on what's going on right in front of him, the play's basically over the guy. And they're going to tackle him. They're tackling for a loss. The play's a bust, and everything goes bad. Now, for you, those of you who don't understand football ease, that means when you take your eyes off of where you're going and take your eyes off of what your purpose is in life and you look at your troubles, you're in trouble. Can you follow that? Yes. Same thing here. You can't take your eyes off the hope. You can't take your eyes off the resurrection. The power of that life, that assurance that that gives you, gives you strength not to look at those big defensive linemen and problems that are coming at you, but you can look at where you're headed and what God is doing because we have an incredible, unbelievable resurrection hope. Acts 3.15 if you have a second look at that, Acts 3.15, I'll read it to you. It says this, 14, this is, but, but you disown the holy and righteous one, talking about Jesus, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. He's the prince of life. He is the resurrection. He is our hope. He was the groundbreaker. Now, when I, if, I, if, if there's some older folks in the crowd, if I said John Glenn, you would probably immediately say, what? First American astronaut. Some of you guys that are runners. Roger Bannister, who is that? First guy to run a four-minute mile. Okay, you can... You can quiz your friends at work tomorrow. <laughs> Roger Bannister broke the time barrier, four-minute mile. John Glenn, for more recent history, okay. What about Neil Armstrong? Anybody know who this is? Okay, first guy on the moon. He broke down barriers. He did incredible things. He was groundbreaking in the things that he did. Jesus trumps all that. He is the groundbreaker for us. He's the first, and there are no others. 
There have been other people that have been on the moon. Other people, commonplace now, not me, but they're on the four-minute mile. But there is no other Christ. There's no other Jesus. There's no other living hope. There's no other one who has caused all things to work together for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. No other one. No other one. Just him. He is our living hope. But there's a second privilege. Look in verses 4 and 5. It says, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have not only an incredible hope, but we have an unchanging inheritance. Those of you taking notes. An incredible hope and an unchanging inheritance. I like to look at the words and, of, of these things. and uh, An inheritance is something that you get later, passed down to you, prepared for you, that's made just for you. Someone before you thought of you and has given you something that you didn't have before. And Peter describes it using these words, imperishable, undefiled, won't fade and reserved in heaven for you. Imperishable means there's nothing on the inside of it that's going to perish. It's not going to rot from the inside out. It's imperishable. It's not going to decay. It's not going to change. Food drives, what do they ask you to do? Bring imperishable food, food goods. Bring those, because they know it's going to be on the shelf for a long time. Health value, I'm not so sure. But your salvation, your inheritance is imperishable. It's not going to decay. It's not going to, you think it's there one day and it's gone the next. It's not going to break down. It's going to stay forever. So it's imperishable. It's also undefiled. Nothing can affect it from the outside. Imperishable, inside. Undefiled, nothing can change that inheritance from the outside. It's, nobody can pop that can and it's going to bust on all our place and it's ruined. No one can take it away. It's safe, settled, and secured, not only from the inside, but also from the outside. There's no effect that the world can have on it. Your inheritance is undefiled. It can't be stained. It can't be shamed. It can't be changed. It's perfect. So not only is it imperishable and undefiled, it's not going to fade away. It's going to stand the test of time. Imperishable food goods, they have an expiration date on it. Can't use them after certain dates. Not your inheritance. There's no fading. It's not going to be like those, uh, i got a pair of jeans at home that have more patches than material. They're, they're, they're not going to fall apart. They're not going to fade. Your inheritance is not going to fade. It's not going to change. 
And not only will is it imperishable, undefiled, and it won't fade. It says it's reserved in heaven for you. Uh, had to admit, I'm a theater dad, okay? My son does uh, plays and sings and dances and all that kind of stuff. It's not a, not a shameless plug, but he's pretty good. <laughs> all right? So he does that stuff. And so we've gone to a number of plays, got more plays than I can, I can remember. And at some of the shows, the chairs, the seats like right here, they are reserved. And sometimes, you know, we're running late to the show. And so we don't have one of these seats. And so I come in, and I'm thinking, there's a seat right down there, and I hustle down there, and oh man, it's reserved. There's a sticker on it. There's a a, a blanket on it. There's a a sign on it that says reserved. But you know what? It's not reserved for me. It's for somebody else. And no matter when that person gets to the theater, guess what? They walk right down. Oh, have your seat, sir. It's right here. It's reserved just for you. And I'm back there saying, well, that should have been my seat. You know what? Your inheritance is reserved, people. Your inheritance is reserved, set aside for you. It's not for anybody else. And when you get there, it's going to be waiting for you. Amen. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, won't fade away, and it's reserved for you because of God's great love for you. He knew exactly what you needed. He knows when you're going to get there. And you know what? The show's not going to start until you're in your seat because he's waiting up there for us. It's going to be a great day. And your inheritance is unchanging. So it's an incredible hope, an unchanging inheritance. And thirdly, it's an unexpected joy. Look at verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Peter knew the kind of man that he was. He knew that he had denied Christ. He knew that he had messed up in his Christian walk. And yet, here he is writing a letter to a bunch of alien believers. He was just as humble and broken, and yet he was called upon by God to write a letter that said, even though you are broken, even though you have messed up, even though God knows all about your problems, you have an inheritance and you have joy because of what Christ has done for you. And then it says, even if it's necessary, you've been distressed. You have great joy, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. He knew, Paul knew, uh, Peter knew what he had been through. He, and God, through Peter, is telling us, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going to go through. And if for a little while, if necessary, you threw Go through various trials. 
know that you can have joy in them if you keep your eye on Christ. You see, I used to go to the doctor when I was a kid down the Healy, the Healy building downtown Atlanta. And every time I saw that bill, I was, I was little, but I wasn't stupid. <laughs> and every time we go down to the Healy building downtown on Peachtree at Pine Street and down in there, and I knew when we got close to that building, we didn't go to that building for any other reason than for me to get something in my backside. And it wasn't a nice little pat that usually had to go with a little prick and was a shot involved. And sometimes I was sick, sometimes I wasn't. But when we went there, I knew what was coming. And even though I knew what was coming, mom and dad loved me enough to take me through that, get the shot so that I would be healthy. It was painful. But yet I knew that if I got the shot, then I was probably going to be feeling better pretty quick. Now, what's that got to do with you and me today? When you're going through various trials today and you see the Healy building in your life and you know you're going to get a shot and you know there's some various trials you're going through, know that on the other side of that there's health and there's life and there's joy. God doesn't make mistakes. And even though you may be going through a difficult time right now, you can still have joy, even though, if necessary, you're distressed by various trials. Peter wrote a letter here of general nature, but of specific needs meeting. He knew we were going to be going through various trials. Christ knows where your trials are right now. Is it in your family, in your home, your job, marriage? future, finances, church. God knows. Go through it. Keep your eyes on Christ. And you'll have unexpected joy. The fourth one, you've, you've had an incredible hope. We have an incredible hope. We have an unchanging inheritance. We have unexpected joy. Even in the midst of difficulty, we can have joy. Because and we know that those, most of the time those trials are, are, are temporary and we'll pass through them. There is, the sun's going to come up and you can have joy knowing that Christ is in control. And then the fourth one, there's a wonderful salvation. Verses 10 through 12. Right, let me go back just a minute to uh, the unexpected joy. I forgot to read the rest of the passage. That, th that the proof, uh, verse 7, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You've heard the, the, heard the illustration of the refiner's fire and how each time you go through the refiner's fire, more <coughs> dross is boils to the top and the silversmith scoops off the impurities and it reheats the fire even hotter. 
that's a part of life. That's a part of the Christian's life. So there's a couple ways you can look at that. You can look at that like, oh, woe is me. Here we go again. And take your eyes off the prize. Or you can say, Christ is making me more like my, my Savior and less like myself. And then you can have joy in that. See, the, 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 it's a tough process. I get it. Been there. Am there. The process is part of the purification for our souls so that we can experience more of His grace, more of His life, and in the midst of those trials, show the whole world that Jesus Christ lives and that the reality of a relationship with Christ beats anything out there. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the pressure that you're under because of life's trials are nothing compared to what you're gaining because of what Christ is doing in your life. Now, it's hard. Uh, it's hard when you lose a son. It's hard when you lose a job. It's hard when your marriage is struggling. That's hard. But that's the refiner's fire. Taken off the dross. And if you respond properly, your life will glorify Christ in ways you've never even imagined. People will come to you and say, how did you do that? How do you go through that? And you'll be able to witness to them and tell them the, the, the deep things of God because you've been there. Not what you've heard about, but because you've been there. And you can speak into those lives because you love him even though you have not seen him. We had not seen Christ. Not like Peter. But we love Him, and we believe in Him, and we can rejoice in the process. Unexpected joy in the midst of difficulty. Now, that's unexpected. That turns the eyes of the world toward you when you're going through stuff like that. And you'll be able to speak words of truth. So that's the unexpected joy. That's when life gets real. That's when the Christian life gets real. Because if it's not real in the trials, it's not real at all. But it's real. I know it's real. It's real. been real for my family. It's been real for people in this church that have struggled through life, maybe still struggling at this moment in life. But they're walking it out and trusting God, and there's still joy. And they can't explain it. They, they don't understand. You're not going to understand it. Just know that's Christ putting his arms around you and saying it's going to be okay because you are mine. There's a big difference when that happens, whether you, and, and the American way of just pulling yourself up by your bootstrap, son. That's not God's way. I'm sorry. There's a big difference in unexplainable joy and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a big difference. One's explainable, one is not. 
unexplainable joy is you're in the midst of it. And God wraps his arms around you and he says, I am here. You are not alone. Rest in me. Trust me. Let me hold you. And I just go, oh, that feels so good. And if you've been there, you know. So there's an incredible hope and an unchanging inheritance. There's unexpected joy. And in verses 10 through 12, wonderful, a wonderful, wonderful salvation. Verse 10 through 12. And to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel, to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which into which angels long to look. See, the salvation that we have, the angels don't understand. They peek over the edge of the heavenly wall and they look down in there and they say, Wow. You're really something. Looking at God. And you're doing that in their lives. I wish I could experience a little bit of that. And, and like Isaiah and all the prophets back there, they wrote stuff down, and, and we kind of get the benefit of looking into it from the backside of it. And we read through it, and we say, okay, uh, you know, a child will be born to us, and a son will be given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, and Isaiah's contemporaries read that, and they, they walk up to him, and they say, Isaiah, what does this mean? He said, I don't, I don't know what I was writing. But we know. And, and that, I kind of feel for them. You know, the prophets, they wrote all kinds of crazy stuff that they didn't know what they were writing, but yet we have seen come to pass. We have seen Christ's life in us doing things that we can't explain. And the angels are up there looking down on our lives, your lives, and they're saying, I can't, how do you explain what you're doing in in this man's life and in this lady's life and in, in this teenager's life? How do you explain that? And God says, Because I'm God. I am working. I am building a people. And if they will follow me, they'll see great and mighty things. Angels long to see, long to understand. And our prophets that, that Peter's talking about here, they, they, they long to see the things that were being revealed to them, but they didn't understand what it was all about. Things that the angels... Long to see. Prophets long to see Christ, but they didn't understand what, what kind of person he was really going to be. Even the people that were around him didn't understand the kind of person that he was. And they saw it. 
They spent, Peter spent years with the man. And yet when it all was over, he went back to fishing. He didn't really understand it either. And yet that voice from the shore speaks and says, cast your nets on the other side. And then things start coming together for him. So it's been an incredible hope for believers. Our privileges are wonderful. An incredible hope. We have an unchanging inheritance. We have unexpected joy. We have a wonderful salvation. Sometimes I've had I've been coaching and teaching long enough that that some of my players now they come back. You know, I had one kid the other day. It was a, a sixth grader, and uh, he looked familiar to me. He came up at orientation. And he stuck out his hand. He said, hi, Coach Thacker. My name is, he said his name. And, and, uh, and, and so I said, um, what was your name again? And he, he said, Mavis. And I said, does your dad, and there his dad comes around the corner. He was waiting. I taught that kid. And he came up to me and he said, Coach, I just want to thank you for all the things you did for me. Yes. I want to thank you for the hard practices that's my kind of my mo, and and you know, our, you know all the things you, we did, because they made me who I am today. And see, someday when we come around the corner, we'll be able to bow our knees before Christ and say, God, thank you for who you made me. Because even in the midst of the running, the push-ups, the 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 drills, the pressure, the the difficulties, God was building a team and also building individuals on that team. And the same thing goes for us. He's building a team, his church, his bride, but he's also building individuals like you and you and you. Don't, don't run from that process because it's a privilege, a, a dear unexpected, wonderful, wonderfully painful privilege to be his child. Now, all the things I just said, that last sentence, I don't understand. How can it be a wonderful, painful, beautiful process? I don't understand that. But I'm thankful that I don't have to because Christ does. God does. So, so what do we do? We do what's in, in Psalm 121. It says, where does my help comes from? come from? My, helps, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. He'll keep you. Your hope is secure. Because he who keeps you, who holds you, does not sleep, nor does he slumber. Nor does he slumber. So where are you in, in the process? Are you, are you struggling in that 
hope? Are you struggling in that process? Four quick words from Psalm 119 about your spiritual hope, how to, how to maintain it and how to keep it. First, choose the faithful way. If you, if you want to take notes, it's in Psalm 119, verse 30 through 32. The psalmist wrote, I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. I cleave to your testimonies. O Lord, don't put me to shame. I shall run the way of, the, of thy commandments. Those four things. Here they are again. Choose the faithful way. Make a choice. Second, choose to place his ordinances, his word, in front of your life. Read it. Stay in it. Third, cleave to his testimonies. Hold on to the word and to his testimonies, even when it's not comfortable, even when you're told by your friends that that won't work anymore. That God's not really real. Uh, this, that's what I was talking about. You're an alien. Because you're an alien, you're going to do things differently than the rest of the world. This is part of that. Fourth, run the way of the commandments. Run with it. Go for it. Don't stand still. Stay in God's word. Immerse yourself in it. See his word come to life in your life in the midst of your situation, whatever that might be. That's how you have hope. That's how your hope grows and you become powerful in Christ as his spirit works within you. And the last part of verse 32, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. When you're in the midst of a tough situation, life is just tough. I'll tell you, it is. You know it is. Trust God by doing those things and you will see God enlarge your heart. For the moment that you're in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today you have encouraged your people by your word. And that in your word and by your spirit, you will enlarge our hearts. And in these next moments... I pray that as we spend a moment just reflecting on your word from 1 Peter today, that in the midst of our difficulties, that you will fill us with an incredible hope, that you will confirm to us our unchanging inheritance, that you will bring joy in the middle of our situation because of our wonderful salvation and because of our wonderful Savior. We look unto the hills from whence cometh our strength. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're doing, wherever your life is right now, I pray that you would look to the hills from which cometh your Savior in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, 
share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.